Welcome to the Talent Exchange. Welcome back. I'm Jess, Head of Marketing at Networks. We connect great talent with fantastic businesses nationwide through intuitive applicant tracking technology and supportive recruitment campaigns. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Jodie Hill, founder and managing partner of multi-award winning employment law firm, Thrive Law. Jodie has specialised in employment law throughout her career and has a keen understanding of this complex legal sector, particularly with DNI issues together with HR related issues too. As a champion for mental health and well-being in the workplace and with a great passion for ending the stigma around equality, diversity, inclusion and discrimination to create happier, healthier workforces, Jodie joins us today to discuss how we can all be taking steps collectively to grow greater diversity and pioneer inclusivity in our own organisations. So please introduce yourself for the listeners, Jodie. So my name's Jodie Hill and I'm the founder and managing partner of Thrive Law in Leeds. We're a specialist employment law firm with a real focus around mental health and diversity and inclusion, as well as focusing on lots of things like training and consultancy work to really help organisations become a people first company. So thank you for joining us today, Jodie, and welcome to the Talent Exchange. There's quite a lot of excitement around this episode as we explore the legal side of equality, diversity and inclusion within the workplace. So equality, diversity and inclusion has risen on the agenda for a lot of organisations in the last few years, as organisations not only seek to understand areas of unconscious bias in standard practices, but also start to see the great benefits of growing a diverse workforce with an inclusive culture. So why do you think organisations are now starting to take a more serious look how they manage their equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace? Well, I certainly think campaigns like BLM and Me Too have have really brought it to the forefront of not just individuals' minds, but also employers thinking, well, how do we react to this? You know, what do, do, do we need to? How do we behave internally, externally? How does this look in terms of our policies and our representation of our organization? And I also think because of the pandemic, you know, we've had a lot of time on our own where we've been able to reflect, or maybe some people haven't had time on their own, but you know, there's a lot of people who've had to work from home or have been furloughed and really reflecting on what's important to them and perhaps in well certainly in my experience people talking about it more openly and, and really understanding what's important to them what type of employer they want to work for so I think we're seeing a shift from an employee's perspective in that regard which then makes employers think are we doing something wrong why are people leaving and actually there's also the other side of it which is employers I think in certainly in my experience are they, they do want a diverse workforce. They're starting to see the benefits of having a diverse and inclusive workforce rather than simply having it as a tick box exercise. They're actually seeing, you know, we've, we have an inclusive workplace and look at the benefits, look at how we're thriving at work. So I think there's a number of different factors. And actually, it's, if it's quite popular at the moment, so often what you find is it's a bit competitive with employers. So where you've got, you know, organisations saying, oh, we're offering, you know, unlimited holidays and stuff around mental health. And you have other organisations trying to almost compete. So I think you have a lot of that as well. So there's a lot there's a lot to consider for employers around this topic. It is huge. It's not you know, you can't fix diversity and inclusion overnight. It's certainly a journey rather than a destination. But I do think a lot more organisations are starting that journey or at least partway through it now. 
No, fantastic. Thank you. I definitely agree with you there. So the way in which organizations operate and recruit impacts the sort of the growth of a diverse workforce, as you've just sort of highlighted there. And the end-to-end activity and recruitment marketing sort of sets the tone for, for your audience, for your candidates, the people who are applying for working at your organization. And, and you can share through those channels what you stand for, what your employee value proposition is, and, and what you offer, a bit like the benefits you were talking about there with Unlimited Holiday. For you, Dojo, what would you describe as inclusive recruitment? So there's, there's a number of layers to it, in my view. I think you've got the, the, the like, like you've just alluded to, the, the way that you position yourself as an organisation. So do you have an inclusive, do you, well, I should say, start with diverse workforce, then look at whether it's inclusive. And is that a true reflection of how your staff feel? Because there's one thing kind of putting you know, putting it out there and saying, these are our values and this is who we are. And then maybe, you know, prospective employees connect with staff and those staff actually say, well, that's not really how it is. So I think the reality has to reflect what you're projecting outwardly as part of that recruitment process. And just generally around your brand, you know, looking at how you talk about issues around diversity and inclusion but also whether you're saying this is you know intrinsic to our core values and then actually behaving in a way that's different so that I think is really important to kind of practice what you preach so that you're actually it's well I suppose it's authenticity isn't it it's it's, do you authentically believe that this is important or are you just doing it to compete with somebody or because it's popular so I think if you really want to attract genuine you know, diverse candidates, then you need to really think about your authenticity around how you talk about diversity and inclusion. And then I also think, look at your processes. So how do you, you know, in terms of who, who's doing the recruitment? Um, is that a diverse panel? Uh, have they had unconscious bias training? And then also looking further beyond that is in terms of the application process. Is it accessible to people from different backgrounds, you know, with people from people, you know, with disabilities? You know, there are lots of organisations who don't think about neurodiverse conditions. And, you know, for the simplest role, the most complex process is put in place and that is a is a real access issue for lots of individuals who would probably be really good at that job so it's not just about you know putting out and saying you know we're really inclusive and diverse look at us it's thinking well if those people then apply do they feel that that process it fits them and if someone has a disability for example do they know how to make reasonable adjustments to the process, to the interview, to the role? It, does it feel as though they can be com- you know, comfortable talking about that? And is there an opportunity to explore that prior to coming to that interview? So I think there's quite a lot of things to think about. It's not just, a, oh, well, we'll put this policy in place or do this one training exercise. It's more of a, I suppose, a, a holistic approach, looking at every part of that process and making sure it feels authentic and also accessible. Completely agree with you. We've talked a lot recently ourselves with our clients about authenticity and about people following tick exercises because they want to be part of trends that are ongoing. But actually, yeah. people can read through it. There's so much transparency in media nowadays because you can access all these review sites and social channels, etc. So you need to make sure that you are being authentic and living and breathing the true values of your organisation and including the people within the organisation when you are deciding what those are. 
definitely and I think at leadership level as well it's you know it's harder when you've got you know say a startup company and there's just one leader but in a larger organization making sure there's a you know a, a clear diverse representative at the senior end you know there's lots of organizations where there's still no women or no one from the BAME community and you think well that's really hard then for people who are coming up in the really junior ranks to go yeah this is a this is a company where I can succeed because they don't have a role model in that organization necessarily so companies need to think about that i'm not saying necessarily have quotas or anything like that but it's looking at do you truly represent a diverse and inclusive employer or you know some, some employers won't and so what are you going to do to try and achieve that and how are you going to attract that talent which we get goes back to those processes and being really authentic about your approach yeah and like you were saying with sort of like the benefits and the kind of offer it's sort of thinking about the different things that fit into that package that that will help drive that diverse workforce too and career progression and seeing role models within the organization that you could live up to and look forward to being sort of in that position too really helps to drive that sort of attraction doesn't it to get people into the organization definitely it really helps and I think you know leaders need to lead by example as well with all of all areas of diversity and inclusion and, and mental health in the workplace and it's it's not just a HR issue or a recruitment issue. It's a whole company issue, which is which is effectively led by the leadership team. So it's got to it's got to have the leadership team buy in in order to really have the impact and the engagement that they expect. You shared a little bit about some of the other areas, you know, beyond the the content of the advert that you should be thinking about inclusivity, equality, and diversity, and including sort of interviewing and onboarding. As a champion for, for advocating equality and inclusivity, what would you urge other organisations to consider as part of the wider process? So certainly start with education. I think the training is really important on not only anti-discrimination because people say things indirectly that aren't discriminatory in their mind, but actually could be really offensive. So, so that side of it for those people who are involved in the recruitment process and the hiring managers, but also unconscious bias, because again, you know, a lot of what happens is not intentional. It, it often is a nuance that someone hasn't even appreciated that they've said or done something in a way that could be offensive or even just made them select someone over someone else because they feel like they're more like that person. So having a diverse panel can help with that as well because you've got different opinions and a diverse way of thinking about that recruitment process rather than simply one or two people from with all the same protected characteristics making the same decisions. And I think as well just I mentioned reasonable adjustments, but really thinking about that before you interview someone and making it really clear about if someone has a disability, how do they access the interview, the application process and all of that. And I, and I, I also think, you know, from a training perspective, you know, you've got you've got the anti-discrimination, you've got the unconscious bias, but also thinking about training around reasonable adjustments and how you might if someone asks for something in the interview, how you might react to that. So rather than, you know, someone says, I've got a mental health and we go, oh no, have you? Oh, like it's that kind of instant reaction that some people just have and they can't hold it in and they don't realize it's really offensive. So again, you know, thinking about things like that and, and educating on neurodiversity as well, that's a, that's a real issue for many employers because they don't actually understand what a neurodivergent employee needs and obviously those needs will vary from from individual to individual and then I suppose the other side is looking at social mobility because I think that links really well with 
diversity and inclusion in that you know we're trying to get the most diverse workforce and so going to the same universities and the same schools and advertising in the same place is going to more more or less bring you the same type of people so diversifying that pool of people where you get them from perhaps looking at different like for example university schools or wherever it might be and really just kind of spreading your wings a little bit rather than simply doing what you've always done because it's always worked yeah completely agree with you there that's that's some brilliant top tips thank you for sharing those Jodie and I think the the comments around training too we we always look at offering training for for skill development like on the job but we forget about those those other skills that you have when you're recruiting hiring managers that maybe don't work in recruitment all the time they may not have had that training at any point in their career so that they are aware of the things they're doing and saying in that process to make people feel comfortable throughout no fantastic thank you for sharing that so these are initiatives are not just to demonstrate commitment to equality and diversity and inclusion but there are also some legal requirements for organizations which I'm sure is where you come in (laughs) what do inclusive leaders need to be aware of in terms of the legal implications surrounding creating that inclusive culture and working environment is there anything that you can share Sure. Well, I think the the main concern is about positive discrimination. Don't go too far that way and just recruit only black people, only disabled people and and not still take that approach where you take the best candidate. So it's about looking at making sure you have positive action in improving diversity and inclusion within whichever sector you feel needs in your organization, but not realming into positive discrimination where you pick someone because they're all remember they're actually not the best person for the job so like quote that's where quotas really come in because they end up forcing people to choose individuals who actually aren't suited for that role but you need another woman that I use the women as an example there are lots of other reasons but I think that's the real risk that employers have because they do a lot of employers do really want a more diverse and inclusive workforce but you know it's not about ticking a box and having 10 women at the top it's about having a diverse and inclusive workforce of people who are suitable and that are the best at those jobs. And the idea being is that rather than not promoting someone because they're a woman, then it's actually level playing field. Look at their skills only, not their gender. And so that's the difference. So you've got your positive action where, you know, you're really just giving them it's like a skill for skill you obviously actively encourage all women to apply, first of all, and tell them that they'll be only judged on their merits, but then not giving them the job just because they're a woman, because that's a bit tokenistic. And I think that's the risk that a lot of employers end up falling into is that then the other person, whether it's, you know, it's either black or white or a man or a woman, the other side of that would then say, well, that's actually discrimination. So you've just got to be really careful that you're doing, doing it in a way that, amounts to positive action and not positive discrimination I hope that makes sense (laughs) no that was brilliant thank you and and that's a a really good point and sort of swings into the next sort of question really which was about risks for for recruiters and HR teams do you think there's anything else or any other risks that they could be facing as part of sort of pulling together a diverse recruitment strategy I think I mean for me the the main risks are around discrimination I mean ultimately Diversity and inclusion is intrinsically linked with the Equality Act. So all of the individuals that people are generally trying to recruit who are diverse and inclusive will have a protected characteristic. So it's just being mindful of that in the workplace as well. You know, ultimately, if you have more people from a diverse background, you've got more protected characteristics. There may there may be that you actually have to do more training for the rest of your team. They might not be used to that type of diversity. And that means it's not only looking at 
how diverse are we? How inclusive are we? Do those people feel valued? Do they feel that they're included or do they feel they've just been recruited because they're you know a woman or the black or whatever it might be so it's about more than just representation it's about inclusivity and I think that's the again another risk is that we can almost get too excited about having this really diverse workforce but then we don't take into account things like culture or reasonable adjustments or the way the way that the individual needs to work to feel included and feel like they belong in the workplace. No, I completely agree. And there's some really, really good points there. And, and thank you for sharing that. That's the first time I've actually heard someone see it from both sides, you know, from that inclusivity point of view. And it sort of goes back to that authenticity point. It's sort of making sure that it's not just about, you know, it's great to be diverse, but it's making sure that, that culture and that environment that people are working in is inclusive and that they feel welcome and comfortable yeah. like everybody else would in that organisation. So at this point in the podcast, we like to ask a little bonus question and we're going to ask what one key trend do you think is going to have an impact on talent in the next six months? So, I mean, it might be obvious from what I've been talking about, but a real emphasis on diversity and inclusion, but I think particularly around mental health. And I know when I set Thrive up three and a half years ago, it was now, I set up with the the values and are all intrinsically linked around diversity and inclusion, but really putting well-being and mental health at the top of the agenda. So it's not a oh well, once all the work's done, we'll then think about mental health. It was this is part of our the core our core values and this is really important to us. So when I first it started that process, everyone was like, mm, you're a bit are you really going to do this? You know, really going to have a law firm that just focuses on on well-being, but it's now becoming really popular we're seeing lots of firms and organizations picking up the pace around mental health in the workplace and then off off the back of that then working on the dni strategy because often they find that's a good place to start for diversity and inclusion because everybody has mental health so everybody can relate to that in one way or another and it's something that is really topical and people are talking about and i think you know, the impact of the, the pandemic on people's mental health as well is, is on everybody's minds. You know, employers are thinking we need we need to do something to make sure we've got a resilient workforce. So I think that's kind of where it's where it's at at the moment. And then the other DNI stuff is going to build on top of that. I think I think you're right there. I think a lot of organisations have been thinking, how can we retain staff and keep them healthy during this sort of pandemic period? And then on the flip side, people who are looking at different roles have had time to reflect on, on what they've been through, what they've enjoyed or what they've not enjoyed about this sort of work from home scenario. And when they're looking at new roles, that's a, a big deciding factor is the flexible working or maybe even just understanding that they're going looking for companies that have that sort of waiting on that on the employee health and well-being. And some of the surveys and stuff that we've been researching, you know, over 80 percent are now looking at sort of the employee value proposition as part of their decision-making process and that waiting around typical things such as salary has decreased and they're actually thinking more about the work-life balance when they're making those decisions as opposed to the typical benefits that you would look at. So no, really good point there. Thank you. I think, I, I think it is a really good point on the on what people are looking for. And I think ultimately, you know, the fact that people can work remotely now means that, you know, maybe the big London salaries aren't so attractive and flexible working is. And it's balancing what people actually value. And we've certainly noticed that we've had an incredibly high calibre of, of candidates apply for roles from big city firms who want a more flexible life and they love the values and they found us because of the values. So I can speak from first hand and say, you know, 
it, three years ago, well, two and a bit years ago, we recruited someone from a top firm in London who wanted to work somewhere that had these exact values and has now helped us grow that. And now we're getting more solicitors apply because actually people want different things so I think there's going to be a huge shift and I think it's going to continue all around diversity inclusion flexible working and mental health and I, I'm quite excited. No thank you and thank you so much for joining us on the talent exchange it's been brilliant to have you on Jodie. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode with Jodie Hill from Thrive Law and we hope you'll join us on our other podcast too where we share insights, top tips and discussions on the latest HR and recruitment trends. For more information about Thrive Law and how they can support you with your equality, diversity and inclusion strategy, internal policies and managing change, visit thrivelaw.co.uk. To find out more about what networks are up to and how we're supporting over 450 clients nationwide to attract, engage, manage and onboard top talent, head over to networksolutions.co.uk. Until next time.